You are at Vernon First Baptist Church, our podcast, where this fall we are going through the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And we are in the middle of the seven messages to the churches. Well, we're third, third, third one in. So that's close to the middle. And we are looking at the message to the church at Pergamum this week. So enter in and enjoy the turn to Revelation 2 if you want to take a look as we see how in the world could they be faithful and compromising? What is the message Jesus has for them and what would it mean for us? My name is Randy Hamm. I'm one of the pastors here and I invite you to listen in and let Jesus speak to your heart as well. We are on our third message, our third church of Pergamum. Now, let's see if we can see where Pergamum is. Do we have a, do we have, yeah, there we go. There, so we've, we've done Ephesus, and if you, if you remember, they, uh, they struggled with their first love. That was the message to them, compassion and tenderness towards Jesus and others. And then last week, we talked about Smyrna, and both of those were these beautiful coastal uh, cities, real lovely places, and then we go up to Pergamum, up top up there. And that's, that's the one we're going to be talking about now. The one, the one who stands among the seven lampstands with the seven stars in his hand, the first and the last, the one who is dead and has come to life, the one who is the I am, the Lord, this one speaks. And in Pergamum, it says that he is the one with the double-edged sword from his mouth, which every time you try to draw that doesn't look very good. You know, I've looked up a few images. I don't think that's exactly what John had in mind. There, there's another one here. Let's see if there's another one. If that's any better, I don't know if that's really much better. The seven lamps. Even in stained glass, it doesn't look very good. Right? So that in some ways, they, did, they didn't have those images. They had a picture in their mind. So sometimes when we draw things out, it doesn't end up looking very good. The one who is, I am the Lord. This one speaks, and he has a message for the churches. They all had to picture it in their mind's eye. And so now we get to Pergamum. And he says that once again, he knows them. And this time, he says, I know where you live. And not in that bad way. But I know where you live, and we're about to read the passage in a second here. But that they live where Satan's throne is. Interesting. And his message is, you have been faithful in persecution, but you are also compromising. Your appetites are getting the better of some of you, and it's time to turn things around. So our title for this passage is Faithful and Compromising. It's not an encouragement to be that way, but it's an actuality. And in some ways, aren't we all? How do we navigate this? Well, in order to navigate it, let's turn to the Word. And I will invite you, if you are able, to stand for the reading of God's Word from Revelations 2, 12 to 17. And we'll have it on the screen, but I also invite you to turn to it in your app or 
in your Bible, hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have also those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with the new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together as we open this passage and see what God has for us. Jesus, we ask that you would guide us as we talk about a couple of challenging things today. We just want soft hearts for you to speak to us. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I remember when some of my appetites were starting to get out of control. I was in junior high, in that tenuous place in life, and I even started to get a little mowing money for mowing lawns, so a little money in my pocket. And the best place for me to satiate my appetites was at the local convenience store, Den of Heathens, that place. Even had an arcade in it. You know, when mom would tell me She'd say no to the chocolate bars at the grocery store, you know, that are in the stands. How many of you had little kids tugging on your pant leg? Can I have that? Can I have that? Horrible thing they put those there. When mom would say no to those, now I had my own money in my pocket and I could buy my own candy bars. Even string Slurpees and a bit of pocket change to spare to play all the video games I wanted, wasting my time on video games. I even remember getting to buy a few uh, scratchy lottery tickets. I don't know if Alberta had a different age for that or if we just had to give a little extra to the guy. But somehow, even at that age, I would get scratch lottery tickets. And if the person at the counter wasn't watching, me and my buddies, we could get our hands on a couple magazines on the rack that we shouldn't have been looking at. The problem, of course, with our appetites for certain things is that they keep coming back, don't they? Mowing money wasn't enough for all of my appetites. Uh, and so I'd have to find some other money at times. And I've talked about that, the places where I'd find money, uh, find money to feed some of my appetites as I wandered down this path. Except when we found out that the magazines, those special magazines 
the new shipment would come at the end of the month. And any unsold ones, they would rip the covers off and send those back to, to get a refund. And the rest of the magazine, they just throw in the dumpster, unlocked, available for any young junior high boys to find. Yes, and we did find them. You know what kind of magazines I'm talking about. And we didn't have to spend money on that pornography. There's no way that we have to avoid that word porn. Free porn for a teenager. It wasn't costing me anything. Just like someone who would say they would find that on the internet. That's not costing me anything. Or is it costing you something? All this while, I was faithfully attending church, president of the youth group, all three or four of us. And anyone would have said, oh, what a fine, upstanding young man. Well, I was doing these things that compromised my beliefs and my faith. Jesus might as well have been writing this message to me. Turn around. Or watch out. And maybe even there's some hope for you when you're compromising. So let's, let's take a look at Pergamum. Another beautiful city. I got a couple images here. There, here's one uh, of the ancient city of Pergamum. You can see there's a beautiful lake or inlet. I'm not quite sure, but they got amphitheater, some temples. If we go, we, you can see that there is all sorts of beauties there. Some recreations here. Of, of what they had. They had a beautiful library. You can flip to the next one. A beautiful library, 200,000 scrolls that they were known for and known, of course, especially for its temples. And here's some artist renditions of the temples up there and known especially over on the right, the altar of Zeus, a beautiful altar that sort of looked like a giant throne. Hmm. I wonder where that's going. And its name comes from Greek word pergamos, which is a combination of two Greek words, pergos and gamos. If you combine them, they, have, uh, they could have these, the idea of a citadel or fortress. And you saw it was up on this hill, this fortress or citadel, or united by marriage, which is a little ironic as we see this message that Jesus has for them. And though they've been faithful in persecution, as we've already discussed a bit, they have been compromising, specifically compromising their faith, faith through eating food sacrificed to idols. And I might say that's the, the empire's food, living the empire's way, and specifically living out the empire's sexuality, the world around them, living out in that, in that way. They are hungry. They have appetites. Hungry as all humans are. And someone has told them that they can just go ahead and fulfill them the way that the empire around them does. Go ahead, fulfill those appetites. In fact, someone in their own church tradition has told them this. Unfortunately, this happened back then. And it continues to happen today where we let things be compromised in the church, we can be so busy denouncing the world around us 
that we're not checking the brokenness that's in our own church. And so we can ask the question, who are the Nicolaitans? Well, to find out who are the Nicolaitans that come up in this passage, we can ask who is Nicholas? This is not St. Nicholas. It's an earlier Nicholas, an early church leader. In fact, he's mentioned in the book of Acts. It's the only time he's mentioned besides this reference. Acts 6, when the disciples chose seven people as deacons to take care of the people, all the practical needs of the church. I mean, if you remember that story, some of you might. He's a Gentile from Antioch. Luke calls him a convert to Judaism. So he was converted to Judaism before he became a Christian. Do you have an idea of what that meant? His, his level of commitment. Choosing to follow the Hebrew law, all of it, including, including undergoing circumcision. That's some commitment. And making sacrifices at the temple. Not many Greeks became Jews. Greeks found it a little easier to become Christians for some reason. Now, early Early historians tell us more about him to help us understand how this Nicolaitan uh, sect became so compromising, those who followed him. There is one story where he was questioned about being a jealous husband, being a little too protective of his wife. She can't talk to anyone else. And so he brought his wife forward to the apostles, and he said, I'm fine. I'm fine. Anyone here could even marry her. I'm fine with that. That would be all right. It was a little over the top, maybe, in his thinking to prove that he wasn't jealous. Some ended up thinking that he allowed other men to marry his wife. Some would even go so far as to say he was a promoter of polygamy, which does not seem to be the case. But some ideas come along that line. It does seem that he, he began to, to treat our bodies, the flesh, with contempt, that anything to do with our bodies, and this has happened throughout church history with many different theologians, that our bodies are no good, only our spirits. That's what we have to protect. And whether Nicholas went so far, it seems that his followers eventually came to what's known as a Gnostic, Gnostic belief, that what one does with the body doesn't matter. It's our souls that are saved. It's our spirits that we have to protect. And as long as you're being good with your spirit, you can do whatever you want with your body and its appetites. You can begin to see where this might go. It became freedom for them to eat whatever they wanted, whenever, wherever, and to engage in whatever sexual pleasures they desired. Well, maybe you also recognize that there's this reference to Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. This is a reference that goes back to, to uh, the book of Numbers, where the people of God were misled back then too. There's a lot of similarities. The wordings of the message all point to that the Nicolaitans were a group that was doing the exact same thing there that was happening back then. The lie was, you are free in Christ, so enjoy your freedom. 
Freedom for eating food, sacrifice to idols. Sometimes that would be to the Roman god, sometimes to the emperor in the emperor's temple, to the empire itself. Now, what would happen with these type of uh, these feasts, it would sort of be like a love feast that would happen, where the business and trade guilds would come together and say, oh, we're going to throw a feast, let's offer an animal as sacrifice to the god of this, to Zeus at his altar, or to the emperor. And then parts of that meat would, of uh, the sacrificed animal, would be given to them to roast and to have a feast. So it was sort of beneficial in some ways. It was a little bit like a, a little bit like a business dinner. You gather all your business partners together, you offer this, you got a win for being, oh yeah, I offered this to the god, but then you get all this meat back, and you have a big feast. It's a gift to and from the empire. The employer would benefit by offering the sacrifice, and everybody would be able to enjoy the feast. Though, in some ways, a little bit like, more like a business dinner with the mafia, right? Like someone's in charge here, and we're doing it this way, and that's how we do it. These weren't the best people to be hanging out with. Eating with them in this way would show your loyalty to them and to the empire. You were Caesar's people. And then the party would really get going. It could turn into something more licentious. Now there's scholarly debate as to whether they would bring in some temple prostitutes reenacting fertility rites with these enslaved women where any payment that would come would go to the temple, or whether it was just a mere enjoyment of the pleasures and appetites as a continuing on of the feast. Scholars point out that many Roman men would have a wife for the raising of kids and the caring of the house and prostitutes for their other pursuits. And though it's hard for us to, stand, to, to understand, we just can't picture it, if we truly thought that the Christian life was all about the spirit and the flesh is of no use, you begin to see how it, they might be able to excuse these joys of eating and sensual pleasures, especially if it's at a business meeting. You know, it was just work. It was a work thing. Maybe you've heard the phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Well, it was just a work trip. Just doing some stuff with the buddies. The problem is, of course, is that it doesn't stay there, does it? The reality is our appetites can end up hurting us and others. Jesus is saying here, the message is, is be careful what you eat, where you eat it, who you eat it with. Paul tells us, actually, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells us, and there's a slide I think I have for this, that you can eat anything sold in the market, in the meat market, without raising questions of conscience. And food that might have been offered to an idol. He says, for the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He even goes on to say, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, Eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Okay, 
So what's going on here? There, there must be something about this. There's something about this. The lure of the fancy meal, the attention of the people. There's, there's more at work than just physical hunger. Paul says you can eat that. But if you're in that situation where you're at a feast, there's a sense that you're being loyal to the emperor. You've gone too far. Even in Acts 15, they're debating circumcision at a great council. They have this great council. They're saying, well, who's in? Will, will the Gentiles have to be follow the whole law to be Christians or not? In the end, they come down to this. It says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Once again, tied into that. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. That was their, that was their main thrust of their message, to which all the Gentile men said, Whoo! Sounds good. So here we see even, even avoiding strangled animals are of concern. So what's, what's the main point here? Be careful. Be careful where your food comes from and what you're giving up in order to eat it. How would we apply this today? How would we apply this today to where we say, you will do well to avoid these things when it comes to our eating? Well, there is another empire at work today. And we, too, have a choice. We can buy our food. We can give our money to places that are all about making the rich richer, where animals are raised in horrible conditions, where we buy our coffee and our chocolate that is picked by children around the world all so that we can get a cheap product to give money to the empire. Or we can choose to know where our food comes from. We could shop local, ensure it's fairly traded with farmers, making sure that we aren't serving anyone's empire, but loving Jesus first, caring about how our eating affects others. We also see here in this passage that Jesus wants us to know that sex is meaningful. That seems almost silly to say. But in our age, as in theirs, many don't think so. Well, it doesn't really mean anything. And if we look at it spiritually, we can end up confusing people as well. We look at our church today, the temptation is to say to the world around us, smarten up. But that's not what Jesus says. He says to the church, turn around, repent of your ways. And we do need to hear this. For far too long, I think, we have stayed silent about sex, seeking to ensure that our kids know that we don't approve of sex outside of marriage. Frowny, frowny face, frowny face. But we don't teach them about the wonderful gift that it is within marriage. 
And the main reason we don't talk about it? Well, it's complex and it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's a little bit uncomfortable. Even just normal words. I know kids nowadays in school, they learn the, the real words for the real parts of the body, and it can be a bit surprising when, when your kid mentions a real word. Oh, okay, okay, we're talking about it like that, are we? Huh? Never mind the struggles we have of how our society is engaging these topics. And we need to be willing to get past that stage of being uncomfortable and press into the complexity if we as a church are to engage this in a healthy way. So that some of the confusion that happened to them in Pergamum doesn't happen to us. If we don't ever talk about it, we also don't talk about the temptations that we all experience, the temptations that I was experiencing as a teenager to idealize what a relationship should be, to, to get caught up in fantasizing or to start viewing inappropriate images, videos, pornography. And we've talked a bit as a community in the past about how it's the elephant in the room in some places. It is rampant in our society and even in the church. We've also seen how many church leaders of big churches even, huge ministries, how they have used and abused pornography and individuals sexually without anyone calling them to account and without uh, a system for them to admit it and confess it. So instead of freely talking about our struggles, we get caught up in a cycle of shame, seeking to fulfill ourselves in unhealthy ways, being confused how to do so properly and unsure of how to move forward. And I will say, that's all we're going to talk about that for now because we have to talk about it a bit more next week because it comes up at the next church in the next message. Two out of seven churches, you'd think, okay, we'd get used to figuring out how to talk about this. It's worth talking about, Jesus says. So what is Jesus' way for us through this? He has a different way for us when it comes to the brokenness of our bodies and to our appetites. Instead of compromising, he says, I will fulfill you. And I can say to you, he will fulfill you. I will give some of the hidden manna, he says. You don't need to eat the empire's food in the way they serve it to you. You don't have to give in to the empire's way of treating your body to try and find fulfillment. Jesus has food that will fulfill you, water that will quench your thirst. So can you be honest with Jesus? What is your longing? What are the temptations that draw you? I love the amazing story of the woman at the well that Jesus meets. Samaritan woman, outside of their faith. And he identifies that this woman has tried to fulfill her longing with all these men. Men that have taken everything from her. Used her. 
And he offers her a life of fulfillment without them. Jesus doesn't shy away from how she's tried to find fulfillment. He engages the complexity of her story. So whether our longing is for sexual intimacy, connection, even just a sense of excitement, of feeling alive, Jesus knows what we long for and how we try to fulfill it. And he also knows what we really need. He knows what we really need. The truth is, is that while we can serve Jesus, enduring persecution, seemingly looking faithful, we'll all be compromising to some degree at the same time. We're all on a journey of being changed into the likeness of Christ. We had some great discussions this week uh, about Mark Buchanan's book. And I would encourage you, if you want to come and be a part of the next discussion, whether you've read the chapters or not, please come. I encourage you, if you want to read the book and not come to any of the discussions, that's fine too. Introverts, I'm with you. But we had some great discussion. And one quote that came up that I want to show you is how Mark says this. This is the shape of discipleship, he says. It may not be anger and coveting that marks us out when Jesus first finds us. It may be cowardice or laziness or aloofness or lewdness or any number of sundry ways our character misrepresents the kingdom. So what does Jesus do? He says that he has hidden manna. He says, I will also give a white stone with the new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Jesus can give you a new identity. He can give you a new identity. You don't have to be stuck. Mark continues in that paragraph. But as we walk with Jesus, learning his ways, empowered by his spirit, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Sons of thunder, daughters of gossip, stepchildren of avarice, and adoptees of impurity, and all the rest in Christ's hands become in word and deed, new creations, apostles of love. But that takes time, and it takes honesty. You may see yourself as indulgent, an overeater, addicted, enslaved, no willpower, just looking for something to take the pain away or the edge off. It's time to take these names that we call ourselves, take them to Jesus. He's ready to write a new name on that white stone to give you a new identity, pure, strong, fulfilled, able to give and not just take, aware of the damage our actions caused. Jesus is not about ensuring we follow the rules for the rules' sake. He's not interested in behavior management. 
When he says they need to turn around, that's what the Greek word here, metanoia, means, to repent, means to turn, to change what you're thinking, how you're doing things, change your worldview. When he says that they need to turn around or he's coming with that two-edged sword, his truth, is this a threat of judgment? Well, what does the sword do? Hebrews says that it goes right through us, dividing spirit and soul. Another way to say it is cut to the heart. Jesus will deal with each of us. He's not finished with anyone. But his desire is not that we just stop doing the wrong things as much as we start living the life that he offers us with its fullness, its truly nourishing righteousness, living for others out of the fullness that he offers us instead of just living to indulge our own appetites. And ministries like uh, restored ministries, you can go ahead to that slide, started by a former youth of this church, are great resources. And if I, as I mentioned, porn, if it's something that anyone here or online struggles with, this is a great website to start with. As they seek to offer freedom, a way to walk through this honestly. So last week I mentioned how my choices that I was making as that young adult led to my friends turning their back on me disowning me. And in some ways, I'm really thankful that they cut me off. With them, I was going down a, a real wrong path. And I realized how much I needed Jesus and started making much better choices. Do I still need to choose the Jesus way? Yes, every day. Am I still tempted to eat and live the empire's way? Yeah. Instead of Jesus's, I sure am. But I know Jesus has something better for me and that he has something better for you. It's not easier, but it's so much better. I pray that we can hear his voice as he calls us to that better way of living and be honest about our own struggles as we enter into it. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for Pergamum, for their faithfulness in, in persecution, that they didn't renounce you, but that they also struggled with just allowing this freedom that was causing pain, causing struggle, and showed how they were, were turning away from you. Lord, I pray for us that you would speak your life and freedom to us, that we would find your food in that life, that truly nourishing righteousness that can fill us, and that we would eat of your truth and live out your way to know your fullness for us, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
invite you to stay standing for a closing blessing and benediction. And if you so choose to put out your hands to receive what God has for you. And maybe it is a white stone with a new name on it. Or maybe it's, it's food that can replace the food you've been using to fill appetites. You know what Jesus has for you today. As you go from this place, go knowing that Jesus is the bread of life and that he is the way. That he will show you how to walk in a truly nourishing righteousness. And that's something that we can offer to the world in all areas of life without being uncomfortable, knowing that we have something to offer, good news for this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, go in peace. Amen.